Welcome back to Crimes from the East. Today we have a very special episode because we have with us our resident guest who makes me say we're going to get sued a lot, Alex. Uh, hello. <laughs> and we also have Caitlin or Katie with us today from episode one. Welcome back, Katie. Thanks for having me back. Episode one, that wasn't talked about as episode one because you welcomed everyone back. (laughs) I went back to the future. That's what happened. Wasn't that like 10 episodes ago? Are we on 11 now? Yeah, this is 11. Can you believe it? It's nuts. What a ride. We've come so far. So what's everyone been up to? We're just going to do a quick warm up before we get into the story. You know, I've just been seeking out the bare necessities of life. Wink, 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 etc. Wank. Hint, hint. <laughs> well, I want to be just like you and seek <laughs> out the bare necessities of life. Uh, no, I uh, actually, since that first episode, I've moved across the country. So I'm just trying to get unsettled. We did finally unpack the last box. So we are officially moved in. To a completely different state. Yeah, we live here now. What are residents of Phoenix called? Phoenicians? That's a good question. They're just called Phoenixes. Like a Phoenix is already a noun, right? You're just a Phoenix. I second that. So motion approved. I'm in it. Phoenixes. I'm a Phoenix. Yes. Rising from your own ashes. I don't know. You don't even have to start one. I mean, it is pretty hot here, so... You're living in a fire, basically. Yeah, I'm I'm with that. I did find out, I don't know if you guys know this, there's a pretty intense bunny plague going around <gasps> that started in Europe. Yeah, I had to take my bunnies to the vet, and they were like, oh, have they been vaccinated? And I was like, I'm vaccinated. And they were like, no, you're rabbits. And I was like, do rabbits need to be vaccinated for COVID? And they were like, no, for like the R2 something or other, like RD2. It's essentially rabbit Ebola. Oh, my God. <gasps> Bunny plague. Apparently, right at the same time that COVID hit the U.S., this hit the U.S. It's completely unrelated. Like, they are completely unrelated. Where are these bunnies meeting to spread this thing? Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it started in Europe and it was like the first cases and it went crazy. And apparently, like, huge rabbit populations died off. It was really bad. So they were like, we need to get them vaccinated. Don't let them go outside for like two weeks. Like, Mm -mm. take your shoes off before you enter the house. I was like, what is happening? Cancel all the bunny raves. I got really excited for like one millisecond at the sound of bunny plague because I just thought there was like bunny population explosion and there's just bunnies everywhere in Phoenix. I was like, that sounds cool. What are they doing there? Kind of hot for bunnies. You have to see Caitlin's bunnies. They're so cute. It's Cinnabon and what's the other one? It's Senator Bunuelo Loveless and Representative Cinnabon Chu. And uh, they make up the U.S. Bungress. Oh, my uh, God. Bunny politics is very, it's a very serious ordeal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, so speaking of Phoenix, I have been consumed by the story of, I mean, it's an old story. Have you heard of the Phoenix Lights? Are we talking about the bird Phoenix or the place Phoenix? No, 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 no. The place Is this like Phoenix. an a, a UFO situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
the UFOs, the Phoenix Lights phenomenon. I feel like you should join UFON. You'd be like the only I really brown should. woman in it, though. That would be weird. <laughs> I mean, I inherited the in, the interest and the curiosity from my mom, so she'd be the number one. <laughs> she'd be the number one brown ufologist. What do you call it? Member. And that'll be the second. Yeah. <laughs> We're laughing, but it's actually a very well-documented case of thousands. And I mean like 10,000 people witnessing a strange, unidentified flying object Whoa. in the sky. There's this new documentary called The Phenomenon. It's not free. We had to pay five bucks to watch it, but it was worth the money. It was just so well made. And then I just dove into it. I watched some other ones. And my mind is blown. I'm like, let's move. Let's move to Phoenix right now. Because these lights appear there like almost every year or every other year. So if you live in Phoenix, Caitlin, you're going to probably see it sometime soon. So aliens are consistently visiting Phoenix of all places? Of all places. I do have an alien protocol with my husband. So I'm very, I'm into this. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good to go. I'll report back if we find any aliens. You'll know. Yeah, so that's what I've been consumed by over the last couple of days. So, all right. Are you ready? Are you ready to get into today's story? All you have to do is trust in me. I was just trying to remember that song. (laughs) Just in me. I'm so ready. All right. So I guess all the, you know, legit fans already know what we're referring to. But that was... A song from Disney's 1967 movie, The Jungle Book. You know how like little girls will have their like favorite Disney princess? Yeah. I think Mowgli was my, you know, spirit Disney princess. Same here. Ditto, ditto, ditto. And I I think, if I'm not mistaken, Katie is a Katie is a huge animated musical fan, right? Where would you have gotten that impression? I was in a car with you and we had, I think, a two-hour drive. And I'm like, hey, you want to play some Beyonce? And Katie's like, who's that? That's not true. I knew who Beyonce was. (laughs) That is false. No. My jaw fell on the floor. I'm like, who is this? (laughs) That is that is <laughs> blasphemous right there. I absolutely knew Those who Beyonce words. is. Yeah, like <laughs> she's probably no. kidding. Okay, she was probably kidding. But she did entertain us with all the Disney musicals you could possibly think of. So, oh yeah, I I do know the words to more than a normal amount for someone my age without children to know the words to. So, I'm learning all of them now that I have a kid. So. Well, at least you have the excuse of having a kid. I just yeah like cartoons. I mean, we all love cartoons, but yeah. the Jungle Book is kind of its own thing because it was different even for its time, right? I grew up watching Disney's Jungle Book on repeat. This family friend of ours had a VCR and they had the VHS tape. So thank you, Shell Hundy, for letting me watch it and almost like ruining your tape by rewinding and rewatching. But <laughs> but yeah, every time we went over, I was like, can I watch the Jungle Book? And so I would just watch it on repeat. I was mesmerized. Like I was fascinated with the idea of a boy growing up by himself in the jungle with all these animal pals frolicking in the trees and streams, eating fruit. Never having to go to school or do homework. Going to the bathroom wherever he wants. 
That's what you wanted to do, Alex. That's what your takeaway from That's the movie. Still, what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> no public toilets in Paris. I mean, there are, but they're mostly just for doing heroin. I think. Oh my god, that's a different kind of jungle. We don't want to go there. I like to think that I was a loner kid, so this lifestyle appealed to me a lot. You know, we lived in some very cool places that had tons of trees and forests and mountains and small wildlife too. So. In some way, me and my sister did kind of get to experience a brief taste of what the outdoor life feels like, and it was liberating. It felt special just hanging from the roots of banyan trees all morning and picking guavas and mangoes off of trees in the afternoons. It kind of resonated with my mind as a child. I mean, you lived in like the place generally speaking, the continent right. at the very least, if not the country where this story happens, which is kind yeah. of awesome. Like you got the insider's perspective or scoop. Mm -hmm. So what about you, Katie? Like, did you watch this as a child? And what was your experience with it? Um, I referenced the Jungle Book more than I care to admit strictly because you guys keep talking about Mowgli and how you guys connect with him. No, yeah. for me, I connect with uh, Baloo because of how he scratches his back. Like, I still do that, <laughs> where I'll go up against a door and just, like, scratch my back against it. And everyone's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, like the bear from Jungle Book. But also, one of my favorite songs is legitimately uh, I Want to Be Like You from the Jungle Book. Like, I love that song, and I love Christopher Walken's rendition of it, and I love the Big Bad Voodoo Daddy's rendition of it. So if you get a chance, highly recommend. Mm. And once we moved away from my access to the Jungle Book VHS tape, I used to watch this show called The Jungle Book, which came on TV every Sunday. Trust me, there wasn't a single person alive in India who was a child in the 90s, had a TV or had a neighbor with a TV and didn't watch this show. It was just the bee's knees. So again, it was like, a redoing of that theme of a wild child. And today, I thought, we'll delve into the stories that inspired Rudyard Kipling to write The Jungle Book and ignite the imaginations of generations of people like me and you and you. The central character of these stories has been Mowgli, the wildling, the feral man-cub. And the Jungle Book franchise is vast. Apart from the initial 1967 movie, there have been at least five movies made, both animated and live action. Just as a quick side note, which one's your favorite out of all the Jungle Book stuff you've seen? For me, it's the original one. Original. Yeah. Mm, for me, it's the live action with uh, Christopher Walken. As Louis? Yeah, it was, it was pretty decent. I love pretty much anything with Christopher Walken in it. I love him. He makes it cool. He makes it something. <laughs> he makes it weird, <laughs> that's for sure. So, a feral child is essentially a human child who has been raised or lived away from human contact and lacks the social constructs of civil society, the most important of them being human language. And there have been many cases of feral children reported all around the world, but Mowgli really took it up a notch in terms of fame and imprinted himself in our minds. Rudyard Kipling wrote the Mowgli stories in the Jungle Book in 1894. He even admitted that he had stolen the ideas for these jungle fables from pre-existing Indian stories like the Panchatantra and Jataka tales. 
Every Desi household with kids has these books. Okay, I bought them for my kid to read to her when she's old enough. Nice. He was born in India, by the way. He was born in Mumbai. I'm pretty sure having spent his early years there, raised by various Indian nannies and such, he may have heard these stories and later wrote his own derivative version of it. Animal tales aside, the idea of a feral child was not his own invention or an idea that took his fancy out of the blue. He was probably influenced by other British writers of his era who lived and worked in India during the 1800s. And I like to think of them as the podcasts of the 1800s. These British soldiers were posted in all kinds of remote locations all over India as administrators and whatnot. And they would write small pamphlets about life in that area and distribute it amongst the other British soldiers. So it kind of sounds to me like the podcast of their time, right? <laughs> That's great. Sir William Sleeman was one such writer. He was a British soldier of the British Empire in India in the 1820s and 30s. He was fluent in Hindi, so he actually bothered to learn the local language, and he was a keen explorer. He made sure to talk to all the locals in every new village that he visited, gleaning their tales, their urban legends and traditions, which he wrote about later in his pamphlets. He wrote several short pamphlets about the discovery of feral children in India in that period during his stay in Lucknow, India. And I read one of them titled, Wolves Nurturing Children in Their Dens. It's the dream come true. <laughs> this was written between 1849 and 1856. What comes to your mind when I say wolves nurturing children in their dens? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Not the beginning of the Jungle Book, but obviously he got raised by wolves. Outside of the context of Jungle Book. Oh. Just being snuggled. Like, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of every internet video when you see dogs with babies and how they become like Aww. very protective and then they just like snuggle next to them. Wasn't this also like a saying at some point? Like, what were you raised by wolves? Yeah, because you're rude. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Raised by wolves. You're right. There is a saying like that. So that must have some origin story, right? It's not out of nothing that they mm -hmm. make these things. It's not localized to India. Mm -mm. The city of Rome has its foundation myth or foundation story of Romulus and Remulus. Oh. There's also a lot of Native American stories about that. Princess Mononoke. I mean, I don't know if that's really a Japanese story, but... I should have looked up the Native American stories. I, I haven't heard of any of that in pop culture, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Oh, I'm sure it does. Here are some of the stories which Sleeman recorded and also his observations of the culture around the phenomenon, okay? So, Sleeman notes that there are scores of wild animals in the jungle all around Sultanpur and that the wolves all along the ravines of the Gomti River have the upper hand as the apex predator in that region. These wolves have been known to carry off small animals and children from surrounding villages often. Hindu villages do not dare to hunt or kill these wolves owing to the superstitious belief that it would bring upon them the destruction and ill fate that they did not want to mess with. Mm. So it was a bad omen, basically, that they would have to kind of live with, even though several children were being apparently abducted by these wolves. Did any of those kids ever get rescued? No. Then... Is this whole like idea of like a feral child in those particular uh, regions more of just parents not wanting to give up hope? 
Like, oh, I'm never going to see my kid again. My kid's not dead. It didn't eat my child. They're just being raised by wolves. Maybe they had that thought, but we're going to go a step forward and actually talk about cases where these children were found. So what would happen is there were actually nomadic tribal encampments, groups of people who lived on the outskirts of the jungle. So they weren't part of the village group as such. They were kind of pariahs in that sense, and they lived on the outskirts of the jungle. They would hunt several animals like jackals, hyenas, and even large reptiles, but they wouldn't touch the wolf either. Sleeman speculates heavily, perhaps based on what he had heard from the people in the region, that this ignorance by the hunting groups was because they would go to the wolf dens after the fact and scavenge for gold and silver jewelry or ornaments that once adorned these little children. That's terrible. That is so terrible. That's dark. That is very dark. Yeah, whatever may have been the truth in all of this, there was definitely a recurring tale going on of wolves picking off little children at all times of the day. How bad does your life have to be that you're like, you know what I'm going to do for a living? I'm going to let these wolves abduct and kill children so I can take their ornaments. Like, that's just, that is awful. Probably some heavy, heavy religious and cultural politics going on over there. And it's pretty sad how things may have worked out at that time. And this too, remember, is just speculation by Sleeman. Things that one group may have told him about the other. Mm. The nomads or the tribals aren't responsible for the security of the whole village, right? If the village has a problem, they need to take care of it it themselves. Why would they blame a different group? Go kill them yourself. You know? (laughs) I'm not messing with no wolves. That's a whole different <laughs> argument. They are messing with the wolves, though. Like, if they, if they, if it was true that they were going into those caves afterward, they were messing with the wolves. So, like, that's like a, that's a, I feel like these are two separate things. There's a difference between, like, hey, tribal men, you're supposed to protect the whole town. And, yeah. hey, you are knowingly taking advantage of this and letting children die so you can take their gold and then do what with it? Mm. Mm-mm. A lot of these groups are pretty much living in the at the fringes of society. They are heavily, heavily discriminated against. Like, they won't even be allowed into the villages. And if they are caught doing simple things like even accessing the same water bodies as the villagers, they, they were beaten to death. It was that kind of discrimination. The people that Sleeman said were going into the caves. Yeah, the ones mm-hmm. who lived on the fringe. The people that were discriminating against those people were the people saying they were going into the caves. Right. Mm, Right. No, I don't think they went into the caves. There's a lot of background politics that, you know, goes along with the different social tiers in Indian Indian culture. So so believing one story over the other, it's kind of it's kind of yeah, it's dicey. I mean, at the same time, if there's just a bunch of gold lying around in a cave, got to go get the gold, right? Yeah. I mean, you're not letting the wolves take the kids. The wolves are going to do what they're going to do. You just But I feel like if you're like, all right, it's Thursday. Those wolves probably grabbed another kid. Let's go check for the gold. <laughs> like that's when that that's when it gets like dicey. That's when you're like, okay, it's not like they stumbled upon a cave and they were like, where did all this gold come from? It's like if you know, if yeah. you like if you know wolves are taking children, I don't care whose children they are. If I don't care if they are your enemy's children. It is a child. And if you know wolves are taking children, yeah. do something about it. Or yeah. you're yeah. a butt face. 
it's very cold, I would say. Yeah, it is cold and um, doesn't paint them in exactly the right light. But it's also all hypothetical. We don't know they actually did that. We have no idea. These, these are just <laughs> Sleeman's words. So in the February of 1850, in the region of Sultanpur near the village of Chandor, a British officer was tasked with some revenue collection tasks and he was traveling along the river. He spotted a wolf with three of her cubs making their way to the water. Trailing close behind these cubs was a boy about 10 years or so, walking on all fours, looking very much part of that tiny pack. So cute. The officer gathered some villagers and they dug out the wolf den, sending the little family bolting through the forest. They finally cornered the boy and caught him. He was ferocious and he growled at them angrily. He would shy away from the adults, but snarl and try to bite small children. So they definitely caught one. <laughs> so adorable. Adorable? Yeah, it's like a little wolfy boy. <laughs> I'm with like her. It. That's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Now, over time, all attempts to make him speak failed. He preferred to eat raw meat only, and he hated any form of clothing put on his body. He seemed indifferent to cold weather and tore apart a cotton quilt given to him even attempting to eat some of the cotton filling. Now, this is a behavior that you might see from an unruly dog, <laughs> isn't yeah. it? Like, well, I mean, yes and no. If he spent 10 years eating raw meat, it's kind of like if you're a vegetarian for 10 years, you can't just go back to eating meat without it like making you sick. If he's yeah. been his whole yeah. life eating raw meat, then his stomach would have adapted to that. I get that. Yeah. Not wanting to wear clothes, I also get because I often don't <laughs> want to wear clothes. So like, I get it. Clothes are for losers. Clothes are for losers. <laughs> Society. It's a social construct. There goes our t-shirt plug. Oh, well. <laughs> there goes our future clothing sponsors. I bet you would sell a lot of t-shirts that, yeah, that just said clothes are for losers. Yeah. I bet people would buy that. I'd buy it. I like it, actually. It's pretty good. Gotta have a little Mowgli. Just have like a feral little boy on it. Like, <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> On the back, I bite small children. <laughs> yeah. Um, but still, it's kind of, it's odd to look at. It's not human-like behavior that's coming from a little child. Or it's the most pure form of human behavior. Yes. It makes me wonder if, if this is learned behavior or something more instinctual, like Katie was saying. Are these basal persuasions, like reptilian brain stuff? Is that what it was? Like, is that our true self or is this our true self? Uh, could I mean, be a little bit of both. This boy, he was sent to the care of a different British officer called Colonel Nicolettes, who wrote to Sleeman about him later. The boy, he never smiled, he never laughed, or showed any interest in interacting with others including little children. He had no interest in anyone. He did sometimes, though, pet the street dogs and let them eat from his food bowl. He lived for two more years like this, surviving on the charity of the villagers and the colonel. Apparently, a couple claiming to be his parents did come to see him. But when they saw the reality of the boy's condition and, you know, the state in which he now existed, they left in a hurry. Where were they in the first place? Like, how did their kid become feral? Yeah. <laughs> they did they from? say how he got, like, separated from them? Yeah. No, there's no information about that. Yeah. I want a DNA test. 
So the boy would point to his mouth when he was hungry. That was one of the few signs that he did learn was to point to his mouth when he was hungry. But that was about all the communication that he managed in those two years he stayed, you know, as part of that village. One day he felt rather unwell. And as he lay dying, suddenly he said the words, it hurts. And he clutched his head. He asked for water. And when he was given a few sips of water, he died, probably at the age of 13. Oh, like an aneurysm, a tumor? Like, did they do an autopsy? No, this was a village in oh, somewhere in village. Uttar Pradesh in 1850. Oh, come on. I feel like if he's been eating raw meat for 13 years, he's probably just full of worms. Oh, that's a good point. I'm diagnosing Ugh. death by worms. Ugh. Parasites. Parasites. So many parasites in raw meat, um, like tapeworms and ringworms and all kinds of worms. If you eat brain matter, there's a disease you can get where you just waste oh, yeah. away and die. Jacob's croid something. It's terrible. It's a terrible, terrible disease. Which is why they say you shouldn't eat like animal brains. You can eat most everything, but don't eat the brains. It's so sad. And isn't it curious that he said nothing the whole time except for just before he died? I feel like that's a uh, embellishment on the story. That's just to give it a like dramatic e- end. 90% chance that it was embellishment. Yeah. Be cute though. Not cute. Sad. Would be dramatic. <laughs> it makes for a better story. Yeah. Yeah. The Hollywood ending we all want. No, no. So whatever the inhibitions were that stopped him from communicating may have loosened. Mm. And he was able to express himself. Maybe finally. That's that's just my armchair <laughs> cognitive scientist talking. Okay. So that was our first Mowgli story. Pretty rough. Our second story is about a boy who was found by soldiers in a similar way as the first story. They caught him as he was trying to wedge his way into the wolf den with the other cubs. And this boy looked to be about 12 or so. He demonstrated nearly identical behaviors as we saw earlier. He preferred raw meat. He wouldn't wear any clothes. He shunned human interaction. He walked on all fours when he could. And many people played hot potato with this poor lad, passing him on to the next person after growing tired of, you know, having to take care of him. A Kashmir shawl merchant handed him over to one of his many servants called Janu who was determined to make a man out of the wild boy. Ew. Janu tied the boy to a tent peg under a mango tree, and he made a little bed for him to lay on. Over several weeks, he got the boy to eat rice and lentils, or dal, which he would form into little rice balls, like to feed him easily. And this is how we feed little kids in India, by the way. Like even my daughter, that's how I feed her. You make rice and dal. By tying them to a tree? <laughs> Yeah, it's a package deal. <laughs> Be easier if you tied them up, probably. My parents didn't tie me to a tree. Is that why? Yeah, is that where all my problems come from? Because I didn't get tied to a tree? Like, that's why I'm not a man, guys. <laughs> that's how you turn them into a man. Yeah, don't you know? That's that's how we do it, okay? We tie our kids to trees and feed them lunch. Sign me up. Janu would massage the boy with mustard oil and soak him in water to get the awful stench of the forest off of him, but it seemed to make little difference. After four months of this care, and of course a lot of beating and scolding, 
the poor boy learned to walk on two legs and he even started to respond to sign language. Like it glazed over the beating and scolding. It's like, oh, let's talk about the tree and the rice balls. And then also there was a little bit of abuse, but like, don't worry about that. Like, what? Oh That's God. probably the case in every single house in India, especially at that time. I'm sure. Yeah, that's just standard <laughs> child care. Yeah, that was just how you took care of kids. You beat the shit out of them. Gotta get your chapal and... (laughs) What did all of this rehabilitation lead to? What did he teach the boy to do? He trained the boy to put charcoal into hookahs when Janu asked him to for visitors to the Kashmir tent. The only word that the boy ever said was Abudia, which was the name of the Kashmir merchant's little daughter, who had shown him some compassion. Oh. Yeah, this part touched me. It shows that he had feelings, you know, and that he was capable of so much more if he was treated correctly, perhaps. Mm. I don't know. But also, if his life just became putting coals in a hookah, which my husband's mother calls a hubba bubba. Hubba bubba. She does, that's what she calls it. (laughs) Um, Then... Is his life that much better? Then why, like, why'd they take him out of the woods? Like, leave yeah. him in the forest. Let him live with the wolves that he was doing fine with before. Same with the first kid, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. So here's a little, um, here's a little interesting development. So one night, as everyone lay sleeping, Janu heard a commotion, and he came out of his tent to see two wolves stealthily making their way to the boy. And then sniffing him. This woke him up. And instead of being alarmed, the boy was delighted. And he put his arms around the furry visitors. (laughs) The three of them seemed to be playing. The boy would throw leaves and twigs at them. And they twirled around him in circles. Oh my god, love. After some time, Janu shooed the wolves away with the help of soldiers. But the next night, three wolves came to visit the boy. And they played again like old friends. And three or four wolves would come every few nights in this manner for a couple of weeks. They would lick the boy and he would hug them with affection. I just want to point out that Alex and my, both of our faces are just like (laughs) super pouty and sad. Like We're just like ready to cry. (laughs) Like, let the boy be with the wolves. Like, what are you doing? He seems so happy. I'm so sad. Janu supposed that these were the cubs he had been living with when he had been found and now they were slightly grown. They were his bros. They were his family. More and more uh, wolves were coming, not just the two cubs that he was seen with because wolves have several litters over the years. So those were probably cubs from the previous litter. And they were like, this is your uncle? This is is your uncle? (sighs) Yeah. They were probably introducing, like, here, I, I got married. This is, um... This is my children. <laughs> yeah, this is Aunt Rita. Um, I met her by the river. She's really sweet. Sometimes she howls even in the day. But that's how it goes, mostly. I wasn't going to break it up, but you didn't come to our wedding. It was very upsetting. You didn't even send a card. Yeah, like, what? God. You can really, like, think of these kids as taken... Out of the wild and put into captivity. And that's like, Ooh. that's sad. Yeah. Like yeah. these were rescue wolves. They were like, we're here yeah. for you. 
Let's go. Let's yeah. make a break for it. Okay. <laughs> the two of us couldn't do it. We're going to come back tomorrow with more men. It's going to be great. We'll knot oh. all the ropes and we'll free you, little Mowgli. Is he still tied to a tree? Yes. He's still... Bl- oh, okay. You, uh, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Your words to their ears because... One day the boy escaped and run off into the jungle, never to be seen again. Yay! He was free! But he lived happily ever after, alone as the only man cub amongst these wolves. He was crying. That's actually a happy ending. I'm going to choose believe no shenanigans went off. Yeah. So what I need to know is how do you make... A wolf accept you and adopt you as its cub. You have to look really sad and be alone (laughs) and be really small and vulnerable and also cute. Yeah, they have done studies that dogs recognize uh, cuteness like humans and elephants do. Wait, so does that mean the wolves from like before that we were talking about were only eating the ugly kids? I mean, I wasn't going to say it, but... (laughs) Apparently, they were eating the rich kids, these little kids covered in gold. But yeah, I wonder, like, especially if it's a baby, how mm-hmm. does a wolf even take care of a baby? Babies are so hard to take care of. You have to. Babies are super hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ask me how. That's why it has to be a toddler. Like, they, they couldn't have been baby babies. Yeah. They had right. to be, like, able to walk, at least. Yeah. It's got to be a toddler. And eat meat. Or, I guess... Drink wolf milk. Well, I mean, I guess if the wolf was, if the wolf was still like suckling its offspring or whatever. Yeah. Then most of these kids that I read of, they disappeared or were taken away around two or three years of age. So, yeah, definitely toddlers, not really babies. Wonder what goes through a wolf mom's mind where she's like, this is actually my child and not food. Mm hmm. What goes through a person's mind when they take a dog home? A woman appeared a few months later asking about the boy that she had heard about through the grapevine. She claimed that her son, aged around four, had been taken from her years ago, but by a wolf. She described two identifying marks, a scar on his chest and one on his forehead, both of which match the boy's marks, the boy that Janu had been taking care of. Mm, taking care of is a strong word. Holding captive. <laughs> yeah, I think the wolves were taking care of him, but yeah. She hung around for a few months hoping the boy would return or be found again, but he never was, and thank God for that. There are a few more tales from this era where Sleeman describes other feral children being found and they read almost exactly like these two stories. The main characteristics common among them all seem to be aversion to cooked food and clothes, indifference to cold temperatures, walking on all fours, snarling or growling, not showing much interest in other humans and not being able to speak. The bleakest commonality here is that In all the cases, the children would certainly die within months or a couple of years of being captured, rarely living beyond their teenage years. Mm. Yeah, those are developmental years. Yeah. Yeah, you're not really rescuing them then, are you, if they're dying? They go back into the jungle, they might still die worm death just like quietly in the jungle. We don't know. 
Surrounded by the wolves that love them. That's true. That's true. But like such a short life. Is it just wolves that have adopted feral children? I would not be opposed to like a a monkey family either. (laughs) There were a couple of cases where kids were raised by other animals and I'll mention them a little later. There was a spate of several other feral children being found in deplorable conditions all over India in the early 1900s as well. And some of these alleged cases of wolf children were proven to be hoaxes, like that of Amala and Kamala. If you Google feral children in India, you will for sure see Amala and Kamala mentioned in all those lists. Mm. It was proven to be a hoax. So all accounts related to these girls was limited to a day-to-day diary published in 1926 by a missionary man, Reverend Joseph Lal Singh. If the little kid is 18 months old, that means they just must have gone into the village. So they weren't really feral as such. Yeah. There's no way a little baby lived in the jungle. Uh, Babies are just naturally feral. That's how they come, right? (laughs) They're just a different kind of feral. (laughs) I would say so. That's the original state. We're all born feral, and the rest is... Drag. Drag. Okay. Don't sue me, real Paul. So, French surgeon... How do you say this, Alex? Help me. Serge? Is it Serge? I mean, technically, I guess it would be Serge. 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 Serge Eroles. Eroles. <laughs> I don't know how to say that, okay? He delves into their case in detail in his 2007 book, Le Enigma de l'Enfant Loup. How did I do? L'Enigma de l'Enfant Loup. Yeah. I can't wait for all of my French-speaking listeners to call me out on my shitty French accent. I'm so sorry, guys. It's French is a very hard language. Side note, though, I've can I just say for the record, because I've been yeah. to France several times, and I've spoken French while there, and I have never had a bad interaction with a French person. I've never been yelled at. I've never been like, oh, how dare you butcher my language? Like, no, I've never had that. The only people who have ever been butts to me in France were Americans. So, uh -uh, (laughs) uh-uh, uh-uh. Like, mm -mm. I love French people. I love all people. There's good and bad and ugly and everywhere. Serge, Serge Aroles, he surmised after much research that the diary written about Kamala and Amala was written years after they both died, not while they were alive. And the original manuscript of this fake diary is currently housed in the Library of Congress in D.C. Oh. Yeah, I'm excited. Next time I go to D.C., I'm definitely going to go look at this. I don't know why. I have no idea. It's like a vintage piece of fake news. Yeah, how do you get into the Library of Congress? I'm going to Google this later. Not right now, because we're doing a thing. But like later, I'm going to Google it. So you will also find pictures of these girls online, which is fake, okay? The pictures were taken decades later and were mere reenactments by local village children on the direction of that Reverend Lal Singh. Kamala was often beaten by Lal Mm. to perform like feral children in front of visitors. Uh. Yeah, local doctors testified that the girls had none of the strange animalistic traits that Lal documented in his diary, like aversion to light, acute sense of smell, howling at the moon. They did none of that. So it was all just crap he made up for publicity. 
He wanted to monetize his diary. He published his book. He got copyrights. He got royalties. So this was all just... A scam. A big scam. Let me get this right. You have feral children who have been abducted from their loving wolf's homes. You have these feral children, and then everyone beats them so they stop acting like feral children. Then you have a not feral sisters, and they're being beaten so they act like feral kids. They're not catching a break, are they? Like them acting like feral children. Let's assume no one caught him beating his kids. Them acting like feral children. Wouldn't that reflect poorly on him? Like, wow, you are such a bad parent. You can't even make these feral kids stop being feral. Like, this guy was not thinking this through. No, so him and his wife actually made a big show of how they were humanizing these little kids and taking care of them. And in public, they were very sweet and loving and, you know, oh, look how charitable we are. On top of which, he published that book, like I said. So they, this was just a cash cow. This guy was fully exploiting in the worst way. So the little kid, the little 18-month-old baby uh, died soon after they were rescued. And Kamala, who was eight when uh, they found her, actually lived till the age of 17. But then she died of a kidney infection. So again, not really surviving their teens. Serge concluded that Kamala most likely had a neurodevelopmental disorder called Rett syndrome, which caused the unusual behaviors she showed and lack of speech. So there were diseases that would explain away their behavior, not that they had to be feral. The fourth and final story of the day is that of Dina Sanichar. This is widely accepted as the case which inspired Rudyard Kipling. However, that is pure speculation by the public. It's not a known or corroborated fact. But because it was around the same time he wrote the story, they think this is what inspired him. In 1867, some hunters in Buland Sheher in Uttar Pradesh saw a six-year-old boy playing with wolf cubs. They lit a fire near the den and in the ensuing chaos captured the little feral boy. He was taken to the Sikandra Mission Orphanage, where he was given the name Dina Sanichar after the day Saturday, when he was found. So Dina means day, Sanichar means Saturday. So he was called Day Saturday? Yeah. Aww. That's like Man Friday, kind of, right? (laughs) I love that. I mean, I don't love that they like, I don't know how the story ends, but at this moment, I don't love that they set a fire to try and catch him, but I do love the name. Like, that's cute. He displayed all the hallmark signs of being feral. However, there were sparks of coherence and small instances of even shrewd behavior, which gave his caregivers some hope for his rehabilitation. So he wasn't in his own shell as other feral children had been. While he eventually never learned to speak or showed too much regard for other humans, he surprisingly showed compassion and attachment to just one person. And that one person was another feral boy who was brought to the orphanage. He gradually taught that little boy to drink from a cup instead of lapping out of a bowl like a wolf. See, I think they had a language. I think they were talking. It's just no one knew what it was. So he was able to talk to that boy like wolves can talk to other wolves. He could sense that that boy is different, just Mm -hmm. like he was. And that itself shows a level of alertness and empathy that 
we were not able to understand or not able to see in all of these children so far. There is consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's just that the communication is not the same as the rest of us. So yeah, that's that's what it is. Dina lived another 28 years. He beat the teenagers. He died in 1895 and he died of tuberculosis from the one human trait that he did pick up, chain smoking. What does that say? Lame. I mean, there are monkeys that smoke, right? You can pretty much teach. There are monkeys that smoke. That's true. Uh, any Anything can get a dick. Well, not a, I don't even know what I'm talking about, but. I think whatever made him human in that moment was the cause of his destruction, which says a lot about the current state of things. Smoking. It's bad. Well, uh, there's a journalist called Laura Smith, and her Timeline.com article on Dina is so well written. Um, I highly recommend people to go read that. I'll link it in on the Instagram and on our website. She states, and I quote, Dina's story revealed that you can take the boy out of the woods, but you can't take the woods out of the boy. And I think that summarizes kind of the state that they were in mm. before dying young. I always hated the end of the Jungle Book. Same. When he goes back to the village? Yeah, because he doesn't look happy. Yeah, just because of this little girl. I mean, to be fair, yeah. though, it is puberty. Like, he is like he is at that <laughs> age in the movie. I think everyone gets what he's doing. Even the wolves are like, mm, get it. He'll be back. Like, get it. No, it's fine. His eyes go googly, don't they? Mm-hmm. Like, when he follows her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is she saying? What is what is that song? My mother's cooking in the home and my father's hunting mm-hmm. in the forest. And I'll fetch the water till I'm grown. Mm-hmm. Those were the instructions of uh, the patriarchy right there. Mm-hmm. Seriously. We could even take it a step deeper if we really wanted to just dissect Disney movies for a second. They're kind of implying that she's some sort of siren. You know, like she is this, Mm. she's singing, she's a siren. She like lures in this like little boy who's going through puberty and just wants to get some apparently and then takes him away from the only loving home and family he ever had. Yeah. Women are evil. That's the message of the Jungle Book. Holy shit. They turned her into a succubus, Mm -hmm. didn't they? And apparently he probably wouldn't make it past teenage years. So, Mm mm-hmm. Moving on to what makes these children wild or feral or uncivilized, essentially, much of the divide between wildness and civilization has to do with human language, with spoken language. And there is a critical period till the age of four or five when the brain develops rapidly and all hardwiring to do with communication is formed at that time. Now, missing out on meaningful and repeated normal human contact at that juncture would result in a devastating state of limbo for these kids in terms of communication. That's one theory. The second theory is that these children had some congenital problems or they had neurological disorders, which caused their parents to abandon them in the jungle. Mm, In the first place. And that's why they weren't able to communicate, not because they were living with animals. 
That I see that happening. I can totally see that happening. Yeah, I can kind of see that happening too. Sadly, you can see that happening, but after a certain point, it's just really hard to learn to communicate if you've never had to. I'm hoping that people weren't just abandoning their children in the woods, even though that totally does happen, which is very upsetting. But I kind of think like the wolves, animals wouldn't just immediately accept a child. Like the way I imagine it would almost have to go down is that the child has to be able to kind of survive on its own and like be around the wolves for long enough for the wolves to like Mm -hmm. adapt to its smell, adapt to its presence. And then like slowly the the kid becomes like a parasite to the pack and like attaches itself to the pack. Kids are already parasites. (laughs) Born feral. (laughs) And then just parasites. It would make sense almost if there was some sort of neurological or developmental delay or something that caused the parents to abandon the kids, but they still have enough survival instincts to survive long enough to then maybe get adopted by a pack of wolves or, you know, figure out how to live ferally. So answering the question you had asked earlier, Alex, there was a famous case John Sebunia, who after having run away from an abusive household at the age of three, was found living among monkeys in Uganda. Ah! He is currently exceptionally well integrated back into society and can even read and write, although at a preschool level. That's a really amazing accomplishment compared to some of these other kids Mm -hmm. um, that we've read about today. The difference being he had run away. So he wasn't abandoned in the forest. Mm Mm-hmm. And no one took him away into the forest. So he was three when he ran away into the jungle to survive. How do you, like, decide to run away when you're three, though? Because he witnessed his father killing his mother. (sighs) Yeah. So he's running for his life. That's That's crazy. I would argue, though, monkeys have a verbal language. They do. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't with them for that long. I think they estimate he was with these vervet monkeys uh, for anywhere between 10 months to a year. And he survived out there by following them around and eating the food that they discarded. Mm -hmm. He says that they were helping him and they were bringing food to him. Researchers said that monkeys will forage and pick fruits in excess more than they need. And then they throw off whatever they Mm -hmm. don't eat. And so the kid kind of noticed that and would probably have been following them just to eat their scraps. I mean, one monkey might have helped him out once. <laughs> I can see that. I love the idea that there's like this clique of monkeys that's like, ugh, it's that kid again. Like, let's just walk away. Like, <laughs> um, So yeah, the researchers said that there is a difference in tolerance, acceptance, and inclusion in a pack or a group of animals. They may have tolerated him at best, but not necessarily Mm -hmm. included him or nurtured him consciously. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Ten months is a long time. Ten months is a long time to tolerate someone. He won't leave them alone. What what (laughs) what are they going to do? Call the cops? Uh, Throw fecal matter at him. You know that um, video of the like two monkeys with the stretchers and they come and they try to pick up the third monkey, but then the stretcher breaks. Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> it's totally that. 
Oh, little monkey society. Yeah, he's probably the one kid who who did well in his life, you know, later on. So so cheers to you, John Sibunia. All right, so final verdicts. What do you believe? Did the wolves accept these children as part of their packs and nurture them as their own? Or were they simply, like Alex said, tolerated because they wouldn't go away? Pia, I literally have to believe that it's possible. You know what? If I ever have a kid, I'm going to find some wolves. You're going to give away your kid to a wolf. Covered in gold, just in case. <laughs> your reverse rumple still skinning your kid? Yeah. I mean, <gasps> oh like, either the wolves accept him and then I can accept the child as well, or... It's a very crooked way of living your dreams out through your child, Alex. <laughs> Most parents are like, I couldn't be a doctor, so my kid's going to be one. And you're like, I yep. couldn't be raised by wolves, so my kid will be. Best gift I could give him, minus the worm death. I'm really hung up on the worm death. <laughs> I keep thinking about it. Just like, What about you, Katie? Uh, I, having seen the way dogs interact with like babies and small children and toddlers like i think i think the dogs or the wolves did take them in i think they i think they were like you know what this kid is dumb and going to die it's barely surviving now all right fine like mm-hmm. here follow me like this is the water dummy like i feel like <laughs> they i think they i think they accepted the kid interestingly enough there were no feral men found whatever these kids were doing I don't think they survived for much longer in the forest beyond their teenage years. Either way, whether they were rescued or whether they lived out in the jungle. Because there, no one saw feral men, like grown adults living with animals. Because they wouldn't be able to catch up. Now, there are tigers and stuff in the jungles in India. And wolves can Mm -hmm. outrun tigers. And snakes. Plus the worms. The The worms? worms? Yeah, it wasn't the tigers or the snakes. It was the worms. They are what will get you. So, Katie, what what did you want to talk about? Uh, what did you talk about? Uh, Kipling. Yeah. Oh, for Kipling. You were talking about like, okay, so like what inspired him wanting to write this or like whatnot? And I was just kind of thinking about it because it's like there is sort of like a mystic escapism to the idea of being raised by wolves or like going out and just living off the land and being part of like the jungle and just having like little animal friends. Like there is something that like is, I don't know, appealing about that. Right. But you were saying that he was raised by a bunch of nannies and I can't help but wonder if like, because he was raised by nannies and didn't Mm -hmm. have like a super great relationship with his parents, if maybe he felt abandoned or felt like he was being raised by I mean, obviously the nannies weren't wolves, but like he if he connected with the story, because to him, that's what he was. That was his childhood being other. You are right. If you look into the whole process of him writing the Jungle Book and his motivation to do so, there's an overarching theme of abandonment and fostering in these stories. And that comes from a personal place. So because he was born in India and he lived his early, I think for the first six years in India, but his parents were academics. They were busy with their careers. And so he was raised by nannies there. He had a great time. He loved it. Yeah. 
But what happened, as most Britishers did at that time, they sent their kids back to London to learn to be British because they didn't want their kids to become Indian, right? If you if kids grow up in an area that they subliminally adapt those characteristics. You know, he probably felt like he was the feral kid, even though I'm sure the nannies did not make him feral. For the record, I do not think Indians are wild, feral people. <laughs> I, yeah, we get that. I feel like every, like, this is now, like, what, the second podcast, and I had to give a disclaimer last time, too. Like, for the record, I don't approve of this, but, like, just, I'm not a bad person. It's just the feeling of not belonging, and that's what he felt. When he was shipped off to London, um, he had to go live with some, with a family that was less than charitable to him. They mistreated him. And he hated it there. He hated it till he actually came back to India to work in his early teenage years. So, yeah, it comes from a personal place for sure. That connection to the place he was born, but not being raised by his own, being raised by others. He, maybe he felt yeah. Indian at heart. I don't know. Maybe he was, he was brown inside and white on the outside. We don't know. <laughs> okay, so FYI. We've been saying it wrong this whole time. Saying what wrong? Mm-hmm. As per Kipling, it's pronounced Mowgli, not Mowgli. That's your T-I-L for the day. It's Mowgli. I don't like it. I think he's wrong. <laughs> he's wrong? Mowgli. Mowgli. Mm, I blame Disney. I blame the mouse, guys, because that's how they said it. Mowgli. Mowgli sounds more Indian to me. Mowgli sounds like what a Britisher would call Mowgli. Exactly. Mowgli. 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 Mowgli, come here. Come here, Mowgli. My good boy, Mowgli. Bring me some tea. <laughs> I'm sorry. Stop. <laughs> I just forgot the name of the panther, and in my head, I just immediately replaced it with... Bagheera. In my head, I was like, was it Shakira? No. <laughs> Bagheera. <laughs> no. Bagheera. Okay, and also, I really wanted to apologize for kind of bursting our little bubble of glee, our Disney glee at the start of the episode, which, with such tales of misery, I, in fact, did destroy my own Mowgli fantasy in the process of writing this all up. So I've punished myself already. But from all accounts, feral children... They had a miserable life once they were caught. So that's that's just it. Ugh. Well, if it makes you feel any better, no true Disney fan likes Disney cartoons or musicals or whatever without the understanding that they are all rooted in badness. Like all of them. I mean, the original Snow White, yeah. She died. Like necrophilia. Sleeping Beauty, she was like 14. Like, oh, it's all bad. They are all oh. bad. So, like, you didn't ruin it for me. I already knew. It is bad. Oh, my God. Oh, but my the gosh. The yeah. are so catchy. <laughs> they are, aren't they? So catchy. Isn't The Little Mermaid super dark, too? I forget. Oh, yeah. There was something about The Little Mermaid. There's a lot of things. The Little Mermaid really dark. She dies, actually. 
Da, 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 da. Oh, we're going to get sued. Under the sea. Nopia, we can't sing the songs. <laughs> yeah, I can't play the music, which sucks. Maybe we should all just sing it and I can put that in there. <laughs> <laughs> Look for the bare necessities. Okay, no. So, by the way, you know what time it is now? It's time for Bollywood, Bollywood Corner. Corner. What do we got? I'm still working on my ukulele. I need to find some ukulele, like a Hindi chords that I could try and do on the uke. I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, Alex is going to, she's learning to play the ukulele, so she's going to make up a Bollywood corner jingle for us. In like four years. I am grasping at straws today for Bollywood corner, okay? There aren't enough movies made about the damn jungle in India. Like, I don't get it. The land is synonymous with jungles and wildlife in the modern psyche, but the modern psyche outside of India. Like, come on, make some more jungle movies, damn it. Mm-hmm. So whatever I'm recommending today, they're not like the best examples of their genre. They've got jungles in them. And so I put them in there. OK, that's good enough. I say the first movie I recommend is Kal. Kal means time or era. And I actually like this movie. It's a suspense horror thriller about a group of bratty city slickers who venture into the forest reserves, still feeling and behaving like the alphas that they foolishly think they are in the city. And one by one, they are taken down by an unseen force, the spirit of the jungle, who may possibly be a tiger. Oh my God. Or a ghostly tiger. I don't know. It could be anything. Ghost tiger. You can watch Carl to find out more. I like this movie, so check it out. It's called Carl. The second movie is something I would only watch ironically, like as a joke. It's called Adventures of Tarzan. It's um, oh my god, somewhat of a B movie. You know what I mean? There's a Bollywood Adventures of Tarzan. <laughs> there is. That's amazing. I think this is made in the late '80s or something. The leading female character keeps getting her outfits wet every two minutes. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's one wood. I was very worried for her. I was worried she was going to get pneumonia or something. She <laughs> discovers Tarzan on one such aqua adventure and she's hooked. <laughs> like, have you seen Tarzan? Tall, dark, rugged, nothing but 100% man meat. So naturally, <laughs> she fell in love with his mind. Innocence. That's right. That's right. His personality. Oh. Can I just say, though, side note, did, did either of you watch the uh, Tarzan movie with um, Alexander Skarsgård? No, I didn't. With Eric North? Yeah, I did. Two hilarious things about that movie. One, the part where he's like flirting with his wife and he's doing the bird noises and she's like, mm, parrot, mating call. Mm, Robin, mating call. And all I could think of, because I was cracking up, and all I and it's supposed to be the super sexual, like ooh, so sexy, whatever. All I could think the whole time was that meme of those birds who are like, "Hey, wanna fuck?" Because it's just like little birds. It's like that's what birds are singing, and I'm just like. 
that's literally what he's doing right now because then they bang <laughs> and she's literally like mating call and i'm like he's literally just tweeting at you hey want a bang what like what fuck? You- oh my god <laughs> so that was the one thing the second thing that i just found hysterical was that leaving the theater my husband was like dude alexander skarsgård he's hot He's a good looking guy. And I was like, he is a good looking guy. And he was just like, but that's an unrealistic standard of male beauty. And I was like, oh, is it? Did Hollywood do something <laughs> super unrealistic? Like, oh my gosh. Like, welcome to being a woman. Like, oh my God. Like, it was just like, it was the funniest thing. So now I still, I say that to him all the time. That's an unrealistic standard of male beauty. And he's like, isn't it? And I'm like, it is. <laughs> like, See, now you know how we feel. <laughs> All the time. Coming back to Adventures of Tarzan, I know none of you are going to watch this, so I'm just going to tell you the highlights, okay? I'm going to spoil okay. it. Yeah. The leading character, she runs away from her base camp and she bunks in with our boy Tarzan, who's still very uncouth. He's very rough. He's very uncivilized, mm-hmm. you know. And so what does she do? Our little jungle helper jumps into a skimpy outfit, and she teaches Tarzan how to love. Wink, 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 wink. Oh, my God. But does she teach him how to <laughs> yeah. speak? That's not necessary. Because <laughs> maybe that's what needed to happen. Because that one jungle boy, like the one feral child, the one word he said was that girl's name. So, like, mm. tying them to the tree and beating them was not the answer. They just needed a lady to love. Yeah. Teach them to love. Yeah, that's what she did in this movie. And this movie was probably the closest thing to sex education poor teenagers had in India back in that day. Really? Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Is it like borderline porn? Like, what is happening here? Because you're making me want to watch it more and more. You're like really selling this movie. Actually, though. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, ooh, she's. She's wet like every 10 minutes. And then she, ooh, she <laughs> this guy's nothing but 100% man meat. And ooh, it was sex ed for children. Like, you're, <laughs> how are the songs? Are they catchy? Um, There's kick ass catchy music in this, okay? Like, Jilele, Jilele, Ayo, yeah, Ayo, Jilele. What part of this makes you think I'm not going to want to watch it? That is, those are all the things <laughs> I like. Those are, those are all the things. Mm-hmm. If you if you haven't grooved to this sick jungle beat, you haven't lived, my friend. So go and watch it. Okay. I, I wanted to emphasize one thing that this movie was recommended by my husband, actually, who recalls <laughs> it quite fondly, I must add. And now I'm starting to see why. Uh, because he thinks uh, you should live in a perpetual state of, oh, why are my clothes wet? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm gonna yep. teach you how to love. Yeah, I was like, I can't think of any jungle movies to recommend. And he's like, what about Tarzan? And I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> That's a good idea. You haven't seen it? I, I fast forward watched it last night. I was gonna say, if you haven't <laughs> seen it, where are you getting these highlights from? Your husband? Was he like, mm, here's the play by play? No. I went on YouTube and I did, you know how you just fast forward oh every. Oh my gosh. Five centimeters, and you're like, okay, next, next, next. No, it might be, (laughs) okay, that voids this then, because it might be a fantastic movie. It might, you missed. That's what he tells me. You missed all the plot. (laughs) You, like, you went too fast. There might be, like, some choice, like, oh, I'm going to watch it now. I'm going to report back, and I'm going to be like, your husband's Tarzan's choice. Like, how dare you? (laughs) 
Did you learn nothing from that little girl in Jungle Book? Come on. Carry the water. That's why she was wet all the time. We're going to raise up the IMDb rating of Adventures of Tarzan overnight, I bet. I bet. (laughs) (laughs) You have nothing but positive reviews. (laughs) Yeah. So that brings us to, I guess, the end of the episode, kind of. Any parting thoughts? Don't eat raw meat. Make sure you deworm your feral children at least every six months. And I just really want to play with wolves. Sounds so fun. You just like throw leaves around. I love that that's playing with wolves. You know, like they just want to play with leaves. Like children. They're children. That's what this is. Now I really want to listen to I Want to Be Like You. Yeah, I'm definitely going to watch The Jungle Book soon. I totally forgot. Remember there was this movie called George of the Jungle? Uh, yes, starring Brendan Fraser. Yes. George. Yes. George. George of the Jungle, strong as he can be. My mom definitely had a crush on this guy. Um, Let's bring this full circle. Best Brendan Fraser movie is called Blast from the Past, starring Brendan Fraser and Christopher Walken. Hey! <laughs> I like it. If you haven't seen Blast from the Past, highly recommend Love it. Okay, I'll definitely watch this. I just want to say thank you so much to Alex and Katie for making time to record across three different time zones. It wasn't easy coordinating this. I know. I know, but we did it. And I'm so glad we did. I hope you guys had fun with this weird and strange topic. I loved it. Super interesting. Thanks, Pia. Good little break to my work day. (laughs) And it was a nice murder break for us, too, although there was a lot of death. And misery. (laughs) Worms. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. We'll see you again next week in another episode of True Crime with a little masala and spice. 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 (laughs) Bye-bye. Namaste. Namaste.